Hello, and welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things, a podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and the history and stories behind them. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get going. All right, before we start, though, I do need to apologize for the unannounced hiatus. The uh, holidays <laughs> took more out of me than I anticipated. So sorry for the unannounced two-week break, but we're back and we're running and we have got a doozy today. I was trying to decide how to start the year and how I wanted to start. I wasn't able to end up finishing, so I will get that podcast uh, episode out to you at some point, but it will not be today. Today will be something equally fantastic and I will let you know what it is in just a second. So we'll start off with the story. When I was really young in early elementary school, we had a field trip outside of class one day and we went to a bookmaking facility. It seemed huge to me at the time, although I don't know how like really big it was because I was quite small, so it's possible it was normal sized, <laughs> but it seemed huge. And we saw the process of making paper and binding a book. And then we were able to create our own book with our own story in it. The most I can remember about my book at that time was that it was blue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the process was fascinating. Watching the wet particles be mashed together, strained, and then laid out on the wire racks and dried to create paper. Paper, in many ways, helps keep the world running, from giving us books and scripts that allow us to enter new worlds, learn how other people see the world and experience it with more empathy, or study subjects that allow us to pursue our dreams and passions and make new discoveries. Paper allows us to make contracts, purchase homes, send love notes, keep journals, make pen pals, and write reminders, and much, much more. So let's take a little bit of time to show some love for this huge gift that helps us keep it all together, paper. Now, before we get to paper, however, we did have a few other ways to communicate and keep records. And I'm not just talking about carrier pigeons, although they are fantastic and include paper, but we're not there yet. So back to where we're starting, which is with papyrus. Papyrus is made from the pith of a plant called Cyprus papyrus, and it was used in ancient Egypt and other places in the Mediterranean long before we got to paper. Papyrus is made by taking long strips of the inside of the Cyprus papyrus and layering, and layering them one way, let's say vertical, and then adding a second layer, laying the strips side by side, going along the other direction, which in this example would be horizontal. A layer of adhesive material was applied between these two layers, and then you would pound the layers to mesh them together, creating a sheet. The sheet would be dried and polished, and then you had your papyrus. It was a little bit uneven, but it still worked. Paper finds its origin story in China and differs from papyrus in that the materials used to make paper, while also plant-based, are first either macerated or disintegrated, whereas papyrus is made from strips of cypress papyrus. Traditionally, the invention of paper was attributed to Kailan of the Han Dynasty from about 202 to 220 BCE, but there is archaeological evidence of paper before then, so the exact date of the invention of paper is still unknown. The earliest piece of paper in existence that we found dates back to between like 179 and 141 BCE and was likely a piece of a map. It was found in Fangmantan in China. Kailan's paper was made of mulberry and bast fibers as well as fishing nets, hemp waste, and old rags. Kailan's paper making was also, according to the stories, inspired by wasps and bees and was said to have taken place in about 105 BCE. 
Although we know, as previously stated, that there were examples of paper prior to Kailan, this paper dated back to about 8 BCE. And, as we mentioned earlier, was likely a map probably used for military purposes. Kailan's discoveries were still important, however, and likely implemented a set recipe for making paper, which is also very important. Prior to the paper during the Shang and Cao dynasties, documents were recorded on bone or bamboo, with strips of bamboo sewn together and rolled into scrolls. These were a bit awkward to use, as well as rather heavy. Silk was a lighter option, but was much more expensive. In the West, rags were also used. But back to paper. Bark paper came about during the Han dynasty, one example being bark paper of mulberry. Even though bark paper was developed during this period, it was actually a different type of paper that was more commonly used, that made from hemp. Hemp paper was popular through until the Tang dynasty when mulberry and rattan paper took over. Rattan, however, took a long time to grow and was cultivated only in certain areas, so that one eventually fell out of popularity. There was also a very special paper only used for imperial reasons. This was called Tang paper and was used during the Five Dynasties and the Ten Kingdoms period around 907 to 979. During the Song Dynasty between 960 and 1279, printing paper became popular, so much so that the supply of bark couldn't keep up with the demand, which led to the invention of a bamboo paper. Paper had become so popular, in fact, that in 1101, the number of sheets of paper sent to the capital came in to about 1.5 million. During the Song Dynasty as well, we see the very first example of a paper banknote from the government. Paper was actually first used as a packing material, wrapped around mirrors, according to archaeological evidence going back to about the 2nd century BCE and Emperor Wu of Han. By the 3rd century CE, paper had begun to be used for writing as well. Toilet paper, we're back to toilet paper, how exciting, was used in China from about the 6th century CE onward. During the Tang Dynasty, the uses for paper expanded, with paper being folded into packets that held tea. Paper was also reportedly used for napkins during this time as well. Burning paper effigies of persons, servants, and animals was also a part of funeral services, as observed by Marco Polo in the Yuan Dynasty. The development of paper led to a strong culture of reading in China, and indeed improved the literacy of the nation. One result being that entire books could be transported rather than just portions of books due to the heavy nature of the bamboo tablets that were used previously. Paper had become so important that it was considered an integral part of the three arts of China. Painting, calligraphy, and poetry. It was also considered essential for scholars, placing among the four treasures of the scholar's studio. The other tools involved were an ink stone, brush and ink, along with paper. The cultural significance of paper was immense. Paper was introduced in Japan between 280 and 610. It was introduced to Vietnam in about the 3rd century, and Korea sometime between the 3rd century and the 6th century. By the 10th century, Chinese scholars considered Korea's paper among the best. In Japan and Korea as well, paper came to have many uses, from writing and arts to furniture and, of course, origami. Korean paper was famous for being white and glossy and very good for calligraphy and painting. It was often used for tributes to China. By the 5th century, peoples and palaces could own collections of thousands of scrolls. This trend was even more pervasive in the South than it was in the North. By the 6th century, scholars could quote up to 400 sources, both in the North and the South. As a pretty stunning example, a small compilation piece dating back to the 7th century contained citations of more than 1,400 works. Can you imagine doing that for your school paper today? I think I would just pass. 
That's amazing. Like, that is one, determination, two, excellent memory, three, thank you, paper. It was pretty much expected to own and be able to cite a few hundred scrolls to be considered an educated person in the 6th century. In the Tang Dynasty, China became the number one producer of books worldwide. The largest imperial collections ranged from 5,000 to 6,000 titles, which was about four times as large as any European collection at that time. These special libraries were used with restricted access, however. For the rest of the libraries, only a few had more than about a thousand titles, but this still outstripped European libraries by a very good number. By the 8th century, paper was being made in Central Asia, and by the 9th century, paper had spread to the Middle East and caught up in most respects to China in terms of advantages. The papers differed in that Chinese papers were made more from bast materials, while Middle Eastern papers were made more from rags and materials like that. The spread of Islam also helped spread the use of paper in the Middle East, and even helped with the transition from parchment to paper. In the Middle East, between the 9th and 12th centuries, we saw the rise of impressive libraries, like those in Baghdad, Cairo, and Cordoba. These libraries were even larger than those in China by this point. And again, Europe did not even rank, not even on the map at this point in time. Samarkand was noted as a great city of papermaking in a 10th century manuscript written by a Persian geographer. The paper made there was so popular that it was even ordered to be sent to Egypt. In Baghdad, developments in papermaking and paper production abounded, with animal or human-driven paper mills developing between 794 and 795. The development of thicker paper also made it possible to more easily mass-produce paper. Trip hammers were also introduced into the process of papermaking, which replaced the Chinese method of using mortar and pestle. Although the trip hammer had already been in use in China since about 40 BCE, but it had never been used for papermaking until after the introduction of the Muslim method of using trip hammers in the papermaking process. There is possible evidence that in about the 11th century, water-powered paper mills came to Samarkand, but this is like largely disputed. However, papermaking continued and Egypt preferred thicker paper and Iran thinner paper. By the 13th century, paper making traveled to India, although there's also evidence of paper being used in India as far back as the 7th century. Silk paper was used for religious images of Buddha, while other paper was used to help make hats and in the production of umbrellas. For a good long while, however, the preferred way of keeping records was using specially treated palm leaves and thin sheets of birch bark. Some of the earliest examples of paper manuscripts in India date back to 1089. Part of the papermaking in parts of India could also have been influenced by Chinese papermaking, not just the Middle Eastern methods. In Europe, the earliest known document dates back to the 11th century. Papermaking had reached Europe by 1085 in Spain. By 1282, there's evidence of water-powered paper mills in Spain. And by the 13th century, we saw paper mills in Italy, and over the next few hundred years, they continued to spread from there, with evidence of papermaking in France in 1348, Holland sometime between 1340 and 1350, Germany had a paper mill in 1390, and Switzerland had one in 1432. And then finally, we get up to England by about 1490, Papermaking went further north, coming to Russia by 1576, Denmark by 1596, and Sweden by 1612. By about 1500, papermaking as well as printing in southern Europe began to bring Europe closer to China in terms of paper. One such example 
is found in Domenico Cremani's collection of about 15,000 volumes by the time he passed away in 1523. After 1600, European collections outgrew and overshadowed Chinese collections, with the Biblioteca Augusta boasting 120,000 manuscripts in 1666. The introduction of mechanical printing presses in the mid-15th century was also a huge factor in this growth spurt. There continue to be other innovations in paper making, including the reuse of paper. In 1774, a German jurist named Justus Klaproth created a way to remove ink from paper, making it reusable. These days we call it de-inking. North African libraries began to outstrip Chinese libraries after about 1700. Over in the Americas, there is evidence of a bark paper in Mayan societies dating back to the 5th century. This was called amate, and the process of making amate was similar to that of making papyrus. In the United States, the first paper mill was started in 1690 by William Rittenhouse from Philadelphia. It was the only paper mill in the British colonies for about 20 years, and for two centuries, Philadelphia was the hub of papermaking as well as publishing. Eventually, this hub moved to Massachusetts by the 1890s, and by 1880, the United States had become the largest maker of paper goods in the world. In 2019, Wisconsin had the largest concentration of papermakers in the United States, so it kind of moved around a bit as different states started making paper. By the 19th century, European and American collections of paper and manuscripts had reached more than a million volumes, with some private holders holding tens of thousands, like Lord Acton's personal collection of 70,000. In the 1830s and 1840s, on two different sides of the world, two inventors tackled the challenge of using wood for papermaking. Friedrich Gottlob Keller and Charles Fennerty both came up with the idea of pulping wood rather than pulping rags, as had been the practice, to make paper. They announced what they found in about 1844, and Fennerty even bleached his wood to make white paper. They'd had success. Pulping wood allowed them to extract the fibers to make paper the same way that pulping rags for fibers had worked. By the end of the 19th century, wood-based paper was the norm. This wood-based paper was cheaper and revolutionary. It became more affordable for people to keep private journals, textbooks, school books, newspapers, fiction books, and more became affordable and accessible and thus more widespread. Unfortunately, earlier wood-based paper deteriorated over time, but with the invention of acid-free wood-based paper in the second half of the 20th century, this helped with the problem, although even today, paper that hasn't been deacidified is still largely in use. I am especially grateful for paper, as it is one of the key tools of a storyteller, although there are, of course, long and beautifully rich histories of oral storytellers as well. Paper allows me to record my thoughts, and I need to see them to think. It allows me to create new worlds, express my feelings through poetry and word, rhythm and music. Paper makes for roadmaps, love letters, fond farewells, paper airplanes, and tools of imagination for the young and the old. Paper lets us know the thoughts and feelings of our ancestors and their struggles and triumphs. Paper has given us the words of philosophers and playwrights for centuries and millennia. It has declared independence as well as brought peace. It's also been the courier of bad news and ill intent sometimes, but without paper, an important line of communication would have been severed between the past, the present, and the future. Now we know that it has its limits, not only in time and decay, but also in sustainability, right? So perhaps we can use this tool that paints the picture of the past and stories to help us construct a bright future with new, more sustainable ways to communicate and more long-lasting ways to communicate as well. We're already on our way with email and other forms of electric communication, but for this great stepping stone, I am forever so grateful 
for paper. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day and a happy new year, even though I'm super late, but I hope you had a great one. (laughs) Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you.